What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another issue of the Comic Bookies podcast. Episode 149 is here. Mike, Mark, and Sean are with you, and we have a special guest. But first, our sponsor, Treasure Island Comics in Fremont, California, tomorrow. Wednesday, April 20th, 420, 2022 is New Comic Book Day, so go out to the comic book store or your local comic book shop and get those new and old books. Uh, Treasure Island's open every Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. But let's get into our very special guest. Um, he is a comic book writer, and he has an upcoming book, a coll- five issues collected into one edition for Dark Horse Comics. He has raised over $200,000 on numerous Kickstarter uh, accounts, so Mr. Curtis Clow, thank you so, so much for joining the Comic Bookies podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk comics. Right on, right on. How's it going, brother? Nice to have you. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Definitely, Curtis. Curtis, I got to ask too, man. How old are you? Because you look like you a super young dude, man. Yeah, I'm 29. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, so we're all within yeah. a couple of years. Okay, cool. Nice, nice. nice. Hey, speak so, for yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> I said a couple, couple, couple could yeah. mean two to seven or eight, right? <laughs> so, uh, so Curtis, before we get into Beastlands, Keepers of the Kingdom, just like, so you're in LA, but you're from Maryland. Give us kind of a backstory of like kind of your up and coming, whether, you know, it be from comics or just life, you know, just kind of want to, you know, get to know you a little bit. Yeah, so I uh, I grew up always wanting to do something creatively. Like that was my dream to always make a living uh, writing stories. I wasn't sure like the medium, uh, like what, whether it was going to be like video games or books or comics until probably like late teens, early 20s. I moved over to California when I was 19, um, just trying to figure out life, dropped out of college. And then I slowly started getting into comics. Um, like while working a day job, I was kind of making them, reading any comics, reading like all the image stuff, fell in love with comics. And then that's when I like knew that, that was going to be the outlet for my stories. Um, so then ever since then, it was just about like uh, doing as a hobby after the day job, working on comics until like a few years ago, I quit my day job. Now I do comics full time. Nice. You actually stole my uh, my next question. I was like, so you just, do you still have that day job? So no. OK, no, cool. no, that was nice, the best nice. day of my life. Getting, getting Being able to quit that and, you know, transition to full time, live the dream. Uh, it's still hard. It's still grind, but it's uh, it's worth it. Worth the struggle. Did you have like any fear? Because I mean, I know how you mentioned you had a day job. So it was kind of like, I want to do the creative thing, the writing oh, yeah. thing. But you know, like it's, it's a big leap. So I'm sure you had some nears, but the oh, hardest thing terrified. to do is take the leap. <laughs> yeah, terrified. I mean, I had a decent paying job. It was completely unrelated to comics, just a blue collar job. And, uh, it, but that money was, you know, it's money for rent, it's money to, to make comics. And, uh, um, you know, taking that leap, it was scary, but now I, I probably make more than I did before. So it's, it's paying off now. It just takes time. Like comics is definitely a long game and the Kickstarters do really well. So I'm just really fortunate to like have a following and been able to make comics now. Perfect, bro. Good. Well, I mean, I hated my day job. So it was uh, the first <laughs> chance I could, the first chance I could quit, I was going to do easy. it. And, uh, you know, it was an easy choice. Did you put a two weeks notice in or you just quit? <laughs> Get out of there. Damn, out of nice. There. Nice. Hey, he hit the great resignation before it was even a thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so you so you you weren't much into comics as a as a younger lad? Like like a, a lot little of bit. people. Like I, I always felt drawn to them. Like like uh, I felt like a pull to them. Like I was making comics like in middle school, but I just didn't read that many. Like I didn't know where to get them. Uh, I, I don't know if I had a comic shop where I live, so it was just like hard to find. Like I I would have a few random issues from like Borders that I would find, but I wasn't like reading anything regularly. And 
I mean, I was always into art and making my own comics, but I, like, I, I can't say that I was like a, you know, a diehard fan of like any Marvel or DC or anything. So do you read them now? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, mostly like creator owned stuff. Nice. Nice. So um, can you give a, a few titles for us? So for any of the fans who aren't familiar with any, you know, smaller time publishing, maybe they can go pick it up. Like some stuff that I like that I've read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. uh, in the indie comic scene, a guy named Miles Greb, he makes an indie book called Clovis. That's like one of my favorites. Uh, Jason Brubaker is a guy that's really popular in, in the indie scene. He uh, he's kind of like a guy who's he's an artist and a writer, but uh, he he had this blog where he would help out other creators and like give you tons of advice for like making your first comic, and that helped me a lot when self publishing. But I'm I'm a big fan of like all the image stuff like obviously like Kirkman and Rick Remender is one of my favorite writers. Cyce Barrier is one of my favorite writers. So reading all their stuff all the time. Nice, nice. In terms of the big two, do you have certain stories that you like, certain characters that you like, or anything that kind of stands out to you? I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm a fan of Batman and Spider Man. Like you can't not be. Like I, I read some of Snyder's run on uh, Batman and uh, some of uh, Sean Murphy stuff, but uh, I haven't read that much Big Two stuff, honestly. But I would like to read more of it. Like uh, I love the new Batman movie. I like the Batman comics. So. Mm. Nice. So um, was Kickstarter the first ever kind of medium you went to when you started to actually start to develop your own comic books? Yeah, I, I uh, you know, I, I was trying to make it for weeks already. Like I spent thousands of dollars of my own money before going to Kickstarter. Uh, but the Kickstarter was always like the plan and the route to try to recoup some of that money. And, uh, you know, hopefully I wasn't just throwing all my money down the drain for this hobby of making comics. So and luckily that first Kickstarter was successful. Nice, nice. And was that the first issue of Beastlands? No, that was for a different series called The Wild Cosmos. That was um, like a sci-fi fantasy series. That one got picked up by a small publisher called Scout Comics. Oh, Scout. Yeah, no, we're yeah, definitely familiar with Scout Comics. Nice, yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. So besides Beastlands, or I should say, how long have you been on Kickstarter? Not you know necessarily the amount of uh, you know runs that you've had, but how many? How long have you been you know promoting yeah, your stuff on there? I think the first one I launched was like early 2017. Oh, so, okay. So yeah. quite some time. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, I was probably trying to, you know, building to that launch since like 2015 and then finally got that first launch in 2017. Nice, nice. From from the sound of it, it sounds kind of like this the whole comic. I wouldn't say it easy, but can you maybe elaborate on some of your struggles that you have gone through in the industry or just writing personally? Um, and another question I have is uh, moving over there to Southern California, would you say that um, it kind of helped you to propel yourself in this industry. Did you meet certain people that you probably would have never met um, if you would have just stayed on the East Coast and whatnot? What were like some of your struggles or some of your, um, you know, uh, people that you have met to try to that got you help in this industry? Yeah. Oh, man. Tons of struggles trying to start like like that first Kickstarter didn't get successful. Uh, the goal was five thousand. We ended up ending at like six thousand dollars and uh we didn't hit that five thousand to like maybe like the second to last day um so it was just a grind of like slowly you know just sharing on social media on reddit on everything just to try to get eyes on it because it's such a grind when you don't have a following yet like i had no following i had barely any social media followers it was just about like being consistent and showing these backers that i care and i you know i really want to make this book um, I mean, now now we hit the goal, like, you know, within the first day, within hours, usually. So it's it's much different than it was back then. The struggle is always just money. Like as a writer, you're paying for the art, you're paying for the printing yourself. Like I was thousands of dollars in debt on credit cards and stuff from trying to make comics. 
And hmm. uh, it wasn't the smartest business business decision, but luckily it's paid off, and we're I'm making over that on these kickstarters now so i have extra money to like put in savings in case anything goes wrong or we need extra money for the books but it's just hard as a writer like the comics are expensive to make it's you have to pay for the art you have to pay for printing i'm lucky that like kickstarter even exists where you can get money like you hear about kirkman back in the day when he was making creator own comics he just would use his credit card so i'm glad that like you have crowdfunding (laughs) like kickstarter but um like moving to california these uh, like comic conventions, they, they were cut off for a while with COVID, but now that they're back, like it's it's really important for like networking and uh, you know you meet editors. That's how we that's how we got this Dark Horse deal. Um, and SoCal has a lot of uh, con- conventions. Like I just went to WonderCon in uh, Anaheim. Hopefully, oh, we'll sweet. be back at San Diego um, this summer. So just getting traveling around, going to all these comic conventions. I mean, the East Coast has some too, like New York and stuff. But there's probably more out here. I feel like. Yeah, Emerald City is a big one, also. Yeah, I haven't been to that one. I went to Rose City uh, before COVID, got to travel for that one. But they're fun. It's a lot of work, but it's it's important. Like you're you're making new fans and you're hopefully like meeting editors at these big publishers that could lead to some work or some opportunities with them. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I thought I saw over 1000 individual contributors to your last Kickstarter. So what would be the main contributor to your following? I mean, that, that sounds like a great number of people to to back something on kickstarter would it would it be it's social media would it be conventions like what's that main contributor no i I don't think it'd be either of those like i I don't know if the like social media is just so hard to get your audience to actually buy something from you um and then conventions i don't know how much of that audience i've heard of a few people that bought my stuff at conventions and then they'll contact me and say oh I, i backed my first kickstarter now which is always cool but i don't think that's a big audience it's mostly from building that audience up through Kickstarter. So like people are always finding mm-hmm. you on Kickstarters and stuff. And then uh, after like I've done 14 launches, so you just that just slowly builds up after every launch and then people start returning. So having something like a mailing list is super important, like putting that thing out weekly, consistent, no matter what, where people get to know you, you're sharing like sneak peeks of work. So then when it's finally time to launch that Kickstarter, most of that mailing list will come support your Kickstarter. Um, and then just, you know, now that you've done all those past Kickstarters, you can market and update those previous Kickstarters that this new book's out. So we hit right. over a thousand backers on like the past two Beastlands campaign, which is like, it doesn't sound good for like direct market numbers, but for Kickstarter, it's like amazing. Like that's what you want to hit like a thousand. Right, right. I mean, it, it's amazing. We've had a few uh, other writers who have had Kickstarters and we've gone in there and backed it. But is as far as delving into the site I haven't done much personally. I've just kind of gone on there, supported the writer who we had on the show, and that's kind of, you know, kind of I'm done with it. Is Kickstarter more of uh, like a social media to where you can follow that person or or is it just like the mailing list where they get an email with updates? Yeah, they, they've improved it a lot over the years. So they do have like a follow button. So a lot of backers will follow me. So they get notified as soon as uh, like I launch a project or they even see like what I back and stuff. So that's good. Um, they, they added this new update where... Um, where you can make like a, a pre-launch page so like you can send out your pre-launch page to your mailing list like a, a couple weeks before you launch and you want to get that like like you want to hopefully get a couple hundred people following that pre-launch page so then once that project goes live all those people following that page will get notified the project's live and they can all just back it right away so nice. it's all about trying to get like those early backers like that first 48 hours is super important mm-hmm. what's in terms of, oh, go ahead go bro. ahead no go ahead brother in terms of your story, Beastlands, not to get into that just yet, but the creativity, kind of the time frame, the mindset you had on that. I'm sure you've written, obviously, other books. Do you have, like, a certain theme you always kind of, like, you always seem to maybe attract to when you write your stories? Or, kind of, what's your thing when you go into writing a book? 
I like weird fantasy worlds. Uh, like Beastlands is definitely one of those. Um, I grew up in the 90s, so stuff like Pokemon and all, nice. all those like monster stuff like uh, yeah. influenced Beastlands a lot, like trying to make my original take on it, obviously. But uh, but then also like as a writer, you want your stuff to like mean something to you. So I'm always trying to find these themes and uh, like subjects that are important to me. Beastlands was centered around, centered around like uh, pet and human relationships. So I just mm -hmm. really tried to make that world building like connect with that. I have a, a six-year-old beagle. She was over here making noise when we first started. <laughs> um, but uh, she was hit by a car when she was like nine months. So I tried to put that like personal experience. Uh, she survived. She's still here with me. But I tried to put that personal experience and that like human and pet bond into a story. And that's how Beastlands developed. A little, um, you know, a little sidebar to this, but my wife has actually been watching uh, Pitbulls and Prolies like nonstop for the past two weeks. So like, having like watching that with her a little bit and then and then reading the story <laughs> it's like oh shoot it's like perfect timing i'm reading like this kind of story <laughs> and also watching this tv show it's pretty cool funny. um I, i'm on hold on I, I was actually on the other side of that i don't know if, if, I, if I told you guys but when i was riding my motorcycle when i first got it i got a harley like two years ago and man i'm just riding it to my buddy's house and all of a sudden like there's just a dog like this little white like not poodle but it was pretty small with um and I'm just riding and all of a sudden you just I just hear it barking arr, arr, and it just runs right under my motorcycle. And I just feel like my motorcycle go up oh, no. and I look in my mirror and I just go back and then like the dog's like limping like this. And then the lady, she's like, oh, she was all like upset. And she was like, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She's like, are you are you really? I'm like, yeah, like I'm not trying to like run over your dog. The dog survived, but it had like a gash on its head. So it's like Jesus. I, like when I actually read that you have that in your Kickstarter, I believe, about how the story came to be. So yeah. I knew about it. And I was like, that's crazy because, man, like it hurt my it hurt me to like actually oh, run sure. over a dog yeah. but it's like your dog wasn't on the leash you know it was just pretty yeah. crazy but it made me think about that no it was pretty traumatic it was a hit and run so like nobody even stopped oh, and then I, I found her in the road just yelping and then i had to like carry her back home in my arms i thought she, at the time like it was pretty traumatic i thought she was like dying in my arms you see like her tongue hanging out and stuff she's turning like all pale and then but luckily she pulled through she was young and like made a full recovery no injuries or nothing but yeah, man, wow. it's tough. Like, I've never been on the other side of, like, striking a dog or anything. But sometimes, it's yeah, like you said, it's not your fault if the dog's on the yeah. leash and stuff. It's right. not like it's not like it's a skunk or a damn squirrel, you know, when it's yeah. someone's, like... <laughs> no, it's, like, yeah, much more personal when it's, like, a, you know, somebody's, yeah, like, really. little pet, like a kid almost, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's the stories that we go through in life, right? That That's the reason that you got to write this awesome story and everything. And a lot of your, you know, your writings and it's just personal issues that we deal with in life and I, i'm glad that you shared that when and really how it came to be beastlands yeah man i i think you know it just makes the story better when you have those life experiences that you can put into stories like something like this or whatever else that you went through in life if you put that into your stories i think it's it's it makes it a lot better instead of just like mindless entertainment mm -hmm. right right all right, so let's get into Beastlands, Keepers of the Kingdom. So we were fortunate enough, you were, you know, you gifted us the first five issues. I can, I think I can, can collectively say for all three of us, it was a great story. Um, definitely the cliffhanger for issue five. So we'll be waiting, chomping at the bit to get, you know, issues six and seven. Um, but yeah, so tell us the whole backstory. Like, I, I know the backstory with your dog, but just what made you want to go into like sort of like a medieval times where it was, you know, it had a kingdom with the king and everything. And yeah, just kind of give us a little backstory on the actual, like maybe um, 
like the timeline, right? Like where it was set, like the setting. Yeah, so it was uh, it was kind of my take, like I said, on like a, a collectible monster type story, like Pokemon, Digimon, all that stuff. I grew up with Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, just trying yeah. to find an original take, and, and I think Beastlands is what that was. And um, I always envisioned it, like I had this idea for a while, and I always envisioned it kind of like in that medieval fantasy world. Um, and then finding Joe, she's the artist on the series and co-creator. And she, her character designs are like a little bit of mix of like fantasy and medieval, but sometimes we like lean towards that more medieval, like realistic side. And I think it just fits that setting really well. Nice. Definitely like in the coloring in it, obviously the artistic work. In terms of the characters, what made you come up with these three kids? What was it, I guess, going into uh, your personal experience again, having your own pet and then they had their own keepers or... Did you have any other ideas when you were kind of creating the story? Yeah, I always wanted it to be like three main characters, like in their teens. And I, I just wanted to usually see like two guys and one girl. So I just wanted to switch it up. And they're kind of diverse uh, just because the world is that diverse. So I just wanted it to be more realistic. And um, and I wanted to make sure they were kind of like that high school uh, age where they're kind of angsty teens. So, you know, there's cursing. There's they get I was just going to bring up that cursing, bro, because Mike and I have to be <laughs> That surprises first, a lot of people like, sometimes. Yeah, bro, I was like, you yeah, know when that first can... F-bomb drops, I'm like, whoa, OK. <laughs> Yeah, all right, it'll all throw right. some people off. Uh, some okay. people won't will stop reading because of it, but you know, some people like it more because of that. Uh, I just feel like that's more realistic for like you know kids. That's how kids talk. That's how I talked as a kid uh, mm -hmm. growing up, and especially if you're like that high school age. Um, so I, I just always wanted to be about like three kids in that kind of teenage, and uh, and then plus you're in this like this medieval world that's dangerous. So of course they're going to use words like that where they're fighting for their mm -hmm. life and stuff. Right. I mean, I, awesome, I'll tell though. you what one comparison I kind of drew when I was reading it, you know, you had the one issue where in the beginning of the story, the father tells, you know, him, Hey, you know, you only get a keeper if you've gone through some hardships. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it kind of reminded me and forgive me. I think it's the, it's like number maybe Harry Potter, the fifth one, the order of the Phoenix. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know. I don't re remember the creature, but I remember that you can only see them if you've witnessed a death. Hmm. It was the thing that they were flying on. I forgot. It was. I think. I think it was number five. And so Harry goes, and and no one can see it but him and one other girl. And they were. Um. And it was one of those things where they were invisible unless you've seen someone die. And of course, if you knew Harry Potter about his parents and everything, so it's was, it's was, it was pretty cool. That's the comparison I drew from from that. You know, sounds interesting. No, I haven't heard anybody compare it to that, but I'll have to check that out. A lot of people compare it to. Um, there's some HBO show based off of a book series. I can't remember now. Um, but these kids or these people have kind of like a, a animal companion like that. I don't think it, it's if it's because they went to went through like a hardship or anything, but it's mm -hmm. just one thing. I can't think of the name now, but if it comes to me, I'll let you know. Nice, nice. Let's see. Ooh. I got a question for you, actually. So uh, we're actually talking to Curtis Clow. He's the writer of an upcoming book now on Kickstarter, but it will be coming through Dark Horse Comics on June 15th to comic shops, June 28th everywhere else. It is the Keepers of the Kingdom. It's available for pre-order now. Curtis, let me ask you, brother, um, when I was reading it, I was kind of thinking the one thing that I kept on thinking about, especially after the fifth and it's said to be continued. And I I personally knew that you had a six and a seven coming out. Did you know that that six and seven was going to come out? Um, it was that like prior to writing the first five. Was it in the middle of writing the first five? Was it after you got your Kickstarter funded and everything and after you wrote the five that you knew you were coming out with the six and seven? Did, or how did that go? 
No, I, I have. Uh, I knew. Uh, you know, I have like the pretty in-depth outlines. So, like, I feel like as a writer, you got to know where your story's going. At least, like, some bullet points or something for these ideas and for these character arcs and for the story arc. So, I, I knew all along. Like, we're definitely going to get to issue ten. Like, I have outlines up to like issue like twenty-five or so. Like, I would love to get five volumes. It just depends on our Kickstarter is doing super well. So, I think we can keep going. It depends on if Joe, my co-creator, wants to keep drawing it because we, she's been working on it since like late twenty eighteen. So, it just takes so much time for her to keep drawing it um and it's hard for her to do other work and i'm sure like you know her, her work's amazing so i'm sure she's getting like other opportunities so if she's down like we're we're gonna for sure get to issue 10 now and then if she's down to keep going we'll keep making more go go ahead and sh shout her out she's actually from overseas right if yeah, i'm not she's mistaken based in um south korea so we work totally through um emails like english isn't even her first language so we're just like translating emails and stuff and we've oh, made wow. it work where awesome, we have a good flow man. going now yeah it's cool the internet's crazy like you just meet these artists overseas and build these relationships with them and friendships with them and you know now we've made beastlands together it's cool how did you how did you find her just finding her art on like twitter i think uh she was posting like some commissions for comic pages so um I contacted her and told her about like as soon as I saw her art, I was like, oh, this is perfect for this idea for Beastlands. Like this is the perfect art style. And um, I uh, sent her a message. And at the time she was working in the video game industry and uh, she was unsure about making a comic. She's never done comic before. And uh, I guess those commission pages I saw were just like one offs. Like she's never actually drawn a few a, a full issue before Beastlands. And uh, she took a little time to think about it and came back to me and said she wanted to give it a try. And uh, now I think she does comics full time between Beastlands and other work. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you, turned her. <laughs> yeah, you completely put her in a different industry. Oh, yeah, it's pretty crazy wow. to think about. Yeah. No, I mean, I just feel lucky to be working. Like, obviously, her art's amazing. So, like, it makes your job a lot easier as a writer when you're working with these artists who do beautiful work and who are also super cool to work with. That's I awesome, got, man. I have a question for you, bro, because I'm just so fascinated by this conversation already because you're 29 years old, bro. You quit the job you wanted to quit. Like you, <laughs> seriously, you're at that. Like, I'm just, I'm chilling, bro. I'm at a good age. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm writing a book. And e even hearing that, like, I'm just going to meet someone from South Korea. Yeah, you have good art. And, and here you are, bro. You have a, a badass story. Thank you. Do you ever sit back and kind of like, I did that shit right there. Like that probably not enough, right man. I, I stress a lot. I'm always hustling. I'm on the grind, and I, I probably don't like sit back and look at like the stuff I've already accomplished. Like I, I just, you know, I have a lot of goals and stuff. I'm very ambitious. Not no doubt. So I'm turning thirty this year. I'm not gonna be twenty. I'm not gonna be in the twenties yeah. anymore, man. There you go. So, uh, there you go. I have a lot. Uh, luckily, this first, you know, uh, my first. Um, my first uh, direct market release with Dark Horse will be out before I turn 30. So that's that's a nice one to cross off. But uh, nice. I, I should. Yeah. I mean, when you put it into perspective like that, it's pretty cool to look at the things that I've already accomplished. And in so regards. Oh, go ahead, Mark. Or Mike. So you said you're always hustling. So and I know you said you have a roadmap of what you usually do as far as what, you know, how the direction of Beastlands. Do you have any other? I mean, I don't know if you can't give any details, but do you have any other stories in mind that you'd want to do in the near future? Besides Beastlands? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm always working on other stories. Like, I, I've already, uh, I have, like, four creator-owned series besides Beastlands. The Wild Cosmos was my first one. Beastlands was my second one. Uh, another fantasy series called Slightly Exaggerated. That one's coming back to Kickstarter uh, early May. That's, like, a fantasy, a whimsical fantasy world. Really weird with, like, flying sea creatures and stuff. And then I <laughs> launched my newest um, series called Majestic. It's about this shape-shifting girl. That that one I launched on Kickstarter last year for, like, the full graphic novel. So besides those four, I'm always, like, working on new pitches and uh, luck, hopefully working with, like, newer publishers and stuff. And uh, hopefully I can get some of these new pitches accepted. 
Nice. How hard is it to get a pitch uh, accepted? Because I mean, I'm sure like you exactly. You're just a creative mind that has probably just a million freaking ideas. Is it hard to kind of narrow it down? Like, okay, this is I want to go with this right here. This is the one that I'm hoping, you know, they're going to be banking on to be accepted. Yeah. So like Beastlands and some of the other like stuff I kickstarted already and then submitted to publishers or had these deals with publishers. It was a little different, I feel like, for like pitching because they already saw like the following I have in the yeah. work. But pitching something brand new, um, I'll, I'll let you know how hard it is if these pitches <laughs> get accepted. Uh, but hopefully like you just have to like self edit and self critique and try to choose like your obviously as a writer, I have a notebook right next to me filled with like no pages and pages of ideas, but you're not going to get to all those ideas. So you have to be like, uh, you have to critique yourself and like pick the best idea. And it also depends on the publisher, like look at their other lineup. Like, uh, you know, you want to choose something similar that you think would fit good with this publisher. So it's, it's about critiquing yourself and uh, being hard on yourself to like, make sure you're putting out your best work and putting out the most meaningful stories with like fun ideas. Does, does Kickstarter and all, and all you've done on Kickstarter and how much you've, you know, how, you know, all your positiveness that you can't got from there would you say that that helps you when you make your pitch to these uh publishers and whatnot a little bit it helps now more like having these dark horse books like kickstarter um like people think more of kickstarter now the past few years with like people like scott snyder doing kickstarter and stuff like kickstarter is definitely not uh like people think of it more quality work now i think a few years ago people didn't really care about kickstarter but still like the only way i'm like able to pitch to some of these publishers now is because they see this dark horse deal so it's still not like fully like just because you have all this like success on kickstarter they still want to see you like with these direct market deals and uh, some publishers won't take a chance on you if you don't if you've never had a direct market release hmm which kind of sucks. Like, yeah. Yeah. So your theme, like you guess you say you like to, you know, write comic books about fantasy, like some of the stuff you watched on TV or movies when you were growing up. But as far as your writing style, is there a current or a past comic book writer that you can kind of compare your writing style to or or is there one that you kind of emulate and kind of read up on to kind of get their, you know, kind of tips from them without actually physically talking to them? Yeah, definitely. Rick Remender is probably my favorite writer. So like, uh, you know, I'm always writing like sci-fi and fantasy stories, like really high concept stuff, which he writes a lot of. So like, he's definitely somebody I look up to and I really love his writing. So like, if I could just be like, you know, one eighth of good as like his writing, <laughs> right. is, I'd be happy with that. Just a little, it's a little part how, of it. How do you like Scumbag? I like it. It's fun. I've only read the first volume so far. It's a funny book and it's cool how he's like switching up with different artists. But uh, that, I really that, love Low and Tokyo Ghost. What were you going to say about Scumbag? That, that first volume is wild, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's a funny book and it's, 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 it's funny. And then another Rick Remender book that I actually picked up the first one. But I mean, I wasn't it's I heard that it's gotten real, real good. A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance. Let, I mean, that I, I, I didn't continue. We both got that, it. yeah. But. Yeah, I just read the first volume a few weeks ago. It's, it's good. I liked it. It's, it's very different from his other books. Like it's it's not like a fantasy or sci-fi feel. It's more like a you know murder mystery. But uh, and it, it also doesn't like he doesn't use captions and stuff in that book. But the art's beautiful and it, it's uh, I really like how he's switching it up. Like he's as a creator, like he, you can tell that he just like made this creative choice to like not use captions and just yeah, show more environment shots and stuff. It's cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a lot more. Yeah, the reader's got to really think. It's almost like yeah. You're you're reading it through more of art in a way, putting you know, it's it, it seemed like a crazy book, but I heard I heard really good things about it. But man, I just been reading so much stuff, especially these damn murder mysteries. These yeah. guys know <laughs> that's all I feel it's like good. I've been reading lately from these smaller publishers and whatnot. But 
Curtis, I got a question. I think it may be on issue three. I know that we've read books and we've had, you know, comic bookies. We read all these different books. We've had some of those that were like, hey, guys, how much reading did you do today? Oh, it was about two minutes worth in that book. I think in issue three, there's a span of a handful of pages that the artwork is doing all the talking. You can see the emotions. You can see what's going on. How hard is it for you as a writer to have certain pages that you're almost depending on the artist to make sure that that artwork is doing the talking through the images. It is hard. Like you, you have to trust your artists. And luckily, like we said, like Joe's amazing. So I trust her and, and our, our collaboration has only gotten better with like every issue we make. So that was like issue three, I think you said, and uh, it's definitely yeah. like a lot less dialogue and captions and stuff. And just the art speaks uh, a book I would compare to. Have you guys read step by bloody step by Cy Spurrier on image? Yeah, it's like a wordless comic with uh, Mateus. I definitely recommend it. There's no words in it, and uh, it's only two issues in so far, but it's it's amazing where like it's just all relying on the art, and uh, it makes your job kind of easier as a writer. But like still, like you got to make sure you, these panel descriptions are good, and that you're like really talking through the art. Yeah, because we I know we've read a couple like I mentioned, and we literally have had some of those like oh no writing in that one primordial kinda, uh, <laughs> primordial it was like freaking animal noises the whole damn thing. But like <laughs> yours, I will one. say you know, and that's not just because you're on it. Like one thing I legitly like really loved is that for those it was like damn I can kind of see basically the images are speaking to me almost to a degree. So that was one thing like a hey, kudos to the artist big time like that was badass. That's awesome here. Thank you. I I liked how you actually it seemed. It seemed like pretty much each issue was for a different character, whether it was Mac, Ava, Ping. And I thought that was pretty cool how, you know, I'm pretty sure that was thought out ahead of time and whatnot. But I like how you kind of dedicated each little issue to uh, their each character and their own story, because obviously we all know that they're all going through their own thing. And um, I just like how they all collectively come together as one. I mean, like Sean has mentioned, like Mike has mentioned, it's just a really, really cool story. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, it was definitely uh, on purpose to kind of like spotlight each character for each issue. Um, and I'm glad it paid off. Like it was a creative. It was like, a you know, it was just a, like something I wanted to experiment with. And it, it kind of paid off where, you know, by issue five, they're back together. So besides the keepers and the beasts, it's kind of a story about like friendship and, uh, you know, that you need your friends. Where do you, do you find do you find yourself looking in your own personal life? to different friends and family members and whatnot, co-workers, now that you don't have many co-workers, I guess, because you're <laughs> doing it on your own. But I got my say, Beagle as my co-worker. There you go. Best co-worker. Would you say? No, for sure. Yeah. Like I moved across the country on my own, away from my family. So it's, it's definitely uh, relates to that. And now I live with my Beagle and girlfriend. So I have support here and have made friends here. But like moving somewhere new and not knowing anyone is definitely a challenge and trying to make friends and stuff. Did okay, your girlfriend so, know you were? Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead, John. Did your girlfriend know you were a comic book writer? Or was it kind of like, hey, babe, I got some news for you. I quit my effing job. I'm gonna be a comic <laughs> book writer. <laughs> no, we, we've uh, we've been together for like eight years now. So, um, nice. so when we first met, I, I was just working the day job and just still trying to figure out that like creative outlet. And then that's when I started just messing around with Kickstarter and stuff. And she probably was just like wondering what the hell is he doing. And then <laughs> she just slowly started to see it build up and see what's become. And now. You know, I'm lucky. She's very supportive. She's coming with me to conventions and helping That's me out the at the table man. and stuff. So nice. Good nice. to the girlfriend, bro. It's awesome. Right. <laughs> okay, Curtis. So five years down the road, successful. You got a couple books out for Dark Horse, and then here come the big two, DC and Marvel come to you, and they want and, and they say, Curtis, you have it all. Which character from 
from either one. So you got to pick two, but which character from DC and which character from Marvel, like, are you just dying to write? Like maybe like a, like a 25 issue, you know, a couple years, like an arc, a couple years. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can't go wrong with like uh, Batman and Spider-Man. Um, but I, I would like some freedom. Like I, I like how DC is doing their black label stuff where you see them get kind of weird. Like you see Ram V with this new book uh, where it's like almost like a horror take on like Aquaman that's coming out. So I would love yeah. to do something like weird on that on that side uh, where you get a little more freedom, which I know that's a struggle with working for the big two is, uh, you know, you have these editors that aren't going to give you as much freedom and they want to make sure that you're doing justice on these characters. Right. Yeah, we we definitely see that in Black Label. You know, I think, shoot, ever since Black Label started, I think with Batman Damned years ago, I think I haven't picked up only a handful of the, of the Black Label because I always want to see that side of it. You know, um, Mark, you know, there's like what uh, Harleen and there's the uh, currently there's the Batman One Dark Knight and then there's a Swamp Thing, you know, Green Hell. There's there's a lot of them. There's a Constantine book that's pretty good. And nice house on the lake this week. Right. Yeah. You got some. Yep. And then also is most of them are the big, you know, the gigantic issues, but it's only three issues too. So most of your black labels, you don't have to like really like spend six months to two years kind of paying attention to a story, you know? Yeah. It might be like bi-monthly or whatever, but, but you know, but it's only you know, three issues. You know what, Mike, maybe even Curtis can elaborate on this. You know what I'm really getting sick of in the industry right now? Um, I'm getting so damn sick of how all the books are just all over the place, man. I'm getting some like where's undiscovered country, man. We haven't gotten it. We always <laughs> say this, right? And then it's just the one dark night. It seems like it took us two, three months to get the second issue. Curtis, what's going on? Is it something that these writers are doing that they're doing independent stuff on the side? Is it? I know a lot of it has to do with shipping and supply uh, shortage issues, but it might have to do with the publishers. Why are all these books like so scattered? Besides Detective that we got for 12, 13 straight weeks every <laughs> damn week, mm -hmm. I feel like nothing's really been you know on course. It's just they're all over the place. It's probably all the above. Like I, I think COVID definitely doesn't help. And then, uh, like you said, like like I have uh, issues six and seven of Beastlands right now. They're like sitting at a port. And I used to have these books from the printer in like six weeks, easy would get them quick. And now they, they it's like an extra like three to four weeks, like just sitting at the port because oh, everything's wow. just backed up with the supply crazy. chain. And then you add on like paper shortages at printers. Luckily, my printer that I self-published through didn't have shortages, but I know that the big two and all them, a lot of the printers they use, uh, they're short of shortage of paper because of uh, covid and it's just uh it make it doesn't definitely makes it a lot harder for creators when you have this stuff going around the world that uh puts delays and things now in terms of you obviously being full-time you're a writer i almost have to ask because covid did do what it did to everyone's life was there one specific challenge or any time and during that covid that it just hit you really hard into what you do for a living no, I mean, I quit my day job right before COVID started. So uh, not being able to go to conventions, like I said, how like important those are for of networking course. and meeting editors and making deals like that, like was a huge, uh, you know, a, a huge downside to COVID. But uh, luckily, like I was worried, to, I was worried to see like how Kickstarter would do with uh, COVID going on. And uh, if people would still be spending their money on Kickstarter books, but luckily, like Kickstarter only blew up since then, where you have all these big creators coming there. And my Kickstarters have only gotten better since COVID, uh, with comic shops shutting down and all that happening back then. So luckily, like on the Kickstarter side, nothing has changed. Um, it, it delayed the Dark Horse book. This was originally supposed to come out in April, so that was the only small thing. Um, but it's still coming out like in two months, so I can't mm -hmm. complain. 
Nice. I mean, people sitting at home, you know, they got nothing better to do. Yeah. You know, people yeah. spending people spending a lot of their, you know, uh, stimulus checks and stuff. So they're kind <laughs> of, you know, if they were already kind of, you know, one foot in, one foot out of Kickstarter, you would assume that the, a lot of them would just go full on in because they're not, you know, going out spending money, right? So they got to spend their money one way or another. And so, yeah, I mean, that was probably a, yeah, definitely, that was definitely a positive. Definitely, thing for you. it was. It was a definitely a noticeable change, like on the positive side, when uh, with COVID and Kickstarter. And I was worried about it, but I was just like keeping an eye on it. And then I think after a few months of like lockdown stuff, I, I just went back and launched the Kickstarter. And that's, I think that might might have been for Beast Lens Four and Five, which really blew up, uh, like over fifty thousand dollars and Damn. over a thousand backers. Right. And that's what we've noticed over the past couple of years, because to be honest, we're um, fairly new comic book readers like myself. I haven't been actually reading in, since I've only been reading since 2016. So it's been a while now. But uh, in the beginning, it was like that's all I knew was DC and Marvel and a handful of image books. But over the years of reading and these past three years that we've been doing this podcast, we've definitely noticed that some of the best stories are just from the the unknown. Right. Whether it's from, you know, what source point press or scout comics or even AWA. image, you know, cause it's not, you know, like this new publisher, AWA, some great freaking stories there. So it's good that, you know, one of those positive things that came from COVID maybe was like, you know what people kind of discovered new and upcoming talent like yourself on these Kickstarter websites. So, uh, but no, but just to, you know, wrap that up that's what we've noticed it's that some of the best writing is does not come from dc and marvel yeah. so it's good no it's, it's kind of like a renaissance for like creator-owned comics where you have all these like you know there's like over 10 different publishers you have vault comics scout comics like all these little guys that mm -hmm. as a creator like it gives you so much more opportunity to work for these publishers um, besides just these big ones um, and then plus obviously kickstarter anybody can make a comic if you could just get a following and pay for the art and then launch it on kickstarter so Curtis, what what are the challenges? Um, you mentioned that you still have books sitting at the dock at the port, ready to be or ready to be unloaded and whatnot. What are the different challenges of you doing it on your own as a creator and having to go out and find the artists and go out and find the you know the printing press and go out and find the distributor and all, everything that goes into you having to do it yourself? Would you consider that harder than the pitch that you have to do to these publishers to do the direct? to marketing like you mentioned or would you say that just trying to do having it all together and just trying to get a pitch it would be easier i mean i would personally think maybe trying to get the pitch the beer guy would be would be harder but at the same time man, trying to make it all flow and sync and all of the logistics of you know like you say your your artist is in south korea and you know i don't know where the printing press is and whatnot but what are the different struggles as a creator own you know comic um writer to between all this man like yeah like the d it's all diy so like it, it's a ton of work um I, I i don't have a warehouse doing even the shipping for me which hopefully that's like the next step where i can get like a warehouse fulfillment company to help me with shipping um i'm still printing the book self-publishing on my own shipping everything on my own my apartment has a room full of uh comic books uh and like shipping supplies and everything it's it's just a ton of work but i guess i, I don't know if that's uh i guess maybe because i've already been doing it this way for years i'm just used to it so uh like right now i'm working on a pitch for like a dream publisher and i'm putting a lot of stress on it because i want to make sure it's good i want it to be accepted so i guess maybe this is harder for me now just because i don't have as much experience like pitching to a publisher like this Nice. But if it gets accepted, then it's a lot easier because then you're getting a page rate. You're getting money. I don't have to do any shipping. Uh, yeah. They're paying for the yeah. art. You know, 
uh, <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier then as long as it gets accepted. So we'll see. Then you, you can, then you can kind of more just focus on your stories, your exactly. writing. And yeah, yeah. you just no, tell okay. us what you need from us and we will help make that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kickstarters burn you out, man. Like uh, I do almost four Kickstarters a year now and just all of the shipping and like marketing Kickstarters run for like 30, 30 days usually. And it's uh, after you just need like some time off the internet. You just don't even want to like look at your phone anymore because there's so much work. It's like right. running an eBay store. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so going into kind of going from comic books, as you know, we are the Comic Bookies podcast and we collide the worlds of sports and comics. Um, so let's get into some a couple of sports like you mentioned in pre-production. You like football, you like MMA. So um, now you're a Ravens fan, you said. So, um, you know, are you watching every Sunday? You on the uh, good old Sunday NFL ticket or red zone? You play fantasy? Like, like how how deep are you into the NFL or foot, football so- in general? I grew up being obsessed with football. Like you wouldn't believe how much I, I played football since I was in second grade all the way through high school. Like it was a dream to play in college and it just never worked out. Um, I was totally obsessed with football. Like if you knew me as a kid, you probably would have thought if I wasn't a player, like I, I would have been like a coach or something. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, after not going to college and playing football, like uh, it was kind of like cr- my dreams being crushed. So I just kind of like uh, distanced myself from it. Like that was my whole identity. And um, uh, and then it was only until like about a couple of years ago, I started watching the NFL again. And uh, now, I'm, you know, I'm back into it, watching it every every Sunday. Uh, I grew up like in the Ravens and Tampa Bay. Also, Tampa Bay was just like really good at a time when I was like playing football and they won the Super Bowl there. And now Did it's kind of cool. <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> <Yeah>. say. <laughs> you had to say it. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's cool to see them do good, uh, you know, obviously with Brady coming back again. And uh, but the Ravens are fun to watch, too. Now that I start watching again, like Lamar Jackson, he's a beast. He's just so much fun to watch if he stays healthy. Right. And is your family back on the East Coast diehard Raven fans as well? Yeah, they, they mostly root for the Ravens. Um, nice. uh, I'm from like Maryland in uh, Annapolis area. So it's like halfway between like Baltimore and Washington. So there's a lot of D.C. fans, too. Nice. Yeah, you don't have no family out here on the West Coast, bro? No, none. Wow. What a leap of faith, man. But following his dream, I like it, man. No, it was it was scary. That was like a scary move, but it was probably one of the best things I ever did just to like get away and figure out life. Right. And you didn't come out here with any friends or nothing, huh? I came out here with one friend where uh, that was kind of like uh, his dad was living out here. So it was like a place to stay for a few months until I got like a job and an apartment and stuff. So that helped out a lot. Like, yeah, obviously it would have been like impossible just to move on your own, like unless you have a ton of money saved up. So who's doing as, better as a 19 year old? I didn't have like hardly anything. <laughs> so who's in a better place now between you and your friend? Seems like you're doing all right, bro. You got an apartment, girlfriend, you're writing books. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's doing pretty good, too, though. He started a moving business. So we both are just kind of, I guess, entrepreneurs out here. But. Yeah, we're, we're both awesome, doing pretty man. good. Yeah. Nice, nice. So I will admit that I haven't watched an MMA fight in a long, long time. <laughs> like I was uh, a fan probably. Ten, no, no, I mean, it's not like I, you know, don't not like it. But, you know, I, I was one of those guys. I admit I had a I had a handful of tap out shirts. thought that was cool, you know, 10, 15, 12 years ago. So so who do you pay attention to now? Um, You know, like, like who do you who's your all time favorite fighter and who do you pay attention to now? Yeah. So like after I stopped playing football, like I said, I I wanted to get into another sport and I started doing like jujitsu and Muay Thai. And I feel like for me to get into a sport, I have to like be playing it or practicing it. So then once I started like training in that like kind of MMA sphere, then I just started watching. And and that's when I was like only watching MMA and like no football. Um, uh, As far as like favorite fighters and stuff like TJ Dillashaw, if you're familiar with him, he's a fighter I really like. Um, I I really like his Muay Thai style and his aggression and like his stand ups really good. 
let's see, like Israel Adesanya, he's just a beast Ooh. all around. Like he's gonna be like one of the goats. His stand. How much do you like so Covington, the fighter? Forget all the extra. Covington, he he can fight. Oh, he can fight. Yeah, like obviously he just markets himself, and like people hate him. But like when you see like you see like interviews of him on the side, like he's actually like a good dude. Like, yeah. But he people, you know, he he plays the heel, and he's he's an amazing fighter, amazing wrestler. Uh, I love wrestling as well. I was training in wrestling too. It's a lot of fun. So like just to see like his cardio and how good he is, like he's he's like one of the top fighters in the world for sure. Is it just? Oh, go ahead. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is TJ Dillashaw was he on the, one of those seasons of the Ultimate Fighter? He was, yeah. Okay, cool, because that's like that's where I found out who he was. So that's how far along, how far back I was watching. Cause okay, Because yeah. once he became like like into the actual sport and fighting on a you know couple fights a year basis, that's when I kind of got out of it. So yeah, so but I do yeah, remember he, him from that show, from he that came season. Came from Ultimate Fighter, and he started training like up in that Sacramento area at Team Alpha Male with Uriah Faber, and then uh, I think nice. he joined Dwayne Ludwig, and that's where like his his stand up really went to the next level once he started training with a guy named Dwayne Lud- Ludwig, who's like a really like a Muay Thai master nice who was you mentioned sacramento you're right who else who was in dillashaw's camp up there in sacramento yeah faber cardi cody garbrandt that's uh, right garbrandt's yeah. the guy i'm thinking about yeah. the one with the the one with the tat all over his yeah, neck. yeah 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 he, he he was pretty good i mean he um he was doing pretty good i uh he's got a couple fights i think he has i think he might have lost his last two fights if i'm not mistaken but um, I was I, I sent these guys earlier the Lo, the Logan Paul podcast impulsive where they actually interviewed uh, it just came out today they interviewed a Masvidal and they're actually talking about um, they're talking about the whole Covington thing and everything but um, Masvidal is kind of one of those other fighters man I, he he man, I, he's older than I thought and you know he he's been losing a couple fights also obviously this last one at Covington. And, um, you know, just, uh, you know, MMA is crazy. I got into it. Um, my wife's stepfather, rest in peace, actually passed away on the day after uh, Christmas last year. And pretty much, I mean, uh, he's the one that kind of got me into UFC. I used to think it was, you know, when they just get on the ground and just start hugging each other forever. I just didn't really see, you know, the art in that. And he's kind of the one that got me to like, you know, ex- not, I don't, I don't know if you'd say accept, but enjoy, um, UFC and mixed martial arts a little bit more. And I've gotten into it. I've kind of been following it a lot. Um, the whole Usman deal and just, you know, like you said, style benders really good. And, um, and gone who, when his last fight against gone oh, yeah. has been really good. And just, uh, man, I, I've been really getting into it. It's been really fun. It's uh, I probably say that out of all the sports, really, that I'm kind of paying attention to right now or always is probably NFL, college, uh, football, and probably, you know, NASCAR and UFC is one of the ones that I'm really into right now. So um, it's obviously growing. You got a lot of people like this guy doesn't like him, but like Jake Paul, he's kind of sticking up for the fighters in the UFC and wishing that Dana White would pay him more and whatever their contracts would be a little bit better, I guess. Um, don't know the whole ins and outs of it. But yeah, man, I mean, UFC is just uh, it's, it keeps growing and uh, I totally enjoy it also, man. So. It's cool that uh, well, I mean, sorry to hear about your uh, your wife's um, father first off, but that's cool that he was able to get, like get you into like it's hard to get into it if you've never wrestled or done like submission grappling. Um, I have experience in that, so that's like when you're watching it on the ground, you can really tell what's going on. Like I could just watch like jujitsu matches, but that would probably like put somebody to sleep who's never like trained in that and doesn't like know what they're doing and the techniques and stuff. Yeah, um, but obviously like the striking is just much more universal and easier to watch. Um, but uh, it's a brutal sport, man. Like it's 
the the head trauma is no joke the the toll on your body and stuff so like to see these fighters i think it's so hard to like stay at your peak uh for multiple years so like I th if anything i think it's better like i know they need money but i think it's better to retire early when it comes to head trauma and you you see stuff like cte and stuff um and you can only stay good for so long like even masvidal who's just a beast but you know i think he's he's lost his last few um cody garbrandt like you were saying like he was champ at once and now he's lost his last few like it's so hard to stay on top and if, if anything it's always better to retire early for a sport like that and i didn't yeah i didn't realize masvidal was th that old i mean he's my age i think he's 37 we're he started, older he started in miami like doing street fights with like kimbo slice and then yeah. uh, that's when he started like transitioning to mma he's got a cool story that's for sure it's kind of like we're we're big fans of Nate Diaz around here because he's you what like an hour away. He's actually probably Stockton. like twenty minutes yeah, away Stockton's from where Mike's the Stockton <laughs> slap and everything. And man, like we've been kind of fans, but you know, he to see what he. I mean, obviously he's he's lost it now. I'd say, but that fight that he had against um what's his name uh, McGregor. You know, yeah. like he was still kind of on top then. Obviously, he's fallen off since then. And his brother, man, uh, Nick, man, that was just an embarrassment. The last fight yeah. that he had, that boy looked so old and whatnot. But no, you just like to see them make money at least. Like it's such a brutal sport that, and in a lot of them don't make enough money. Some of them are only making like twelve thousand to win, twelve thousand to show, twelve thousand win, which is just like mind blowing. That amount of their medical bills. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's mind blowing. So like to see guys like Nate Diaz, who was like one of those guys who was like barely making anything for. A while and then he broke through with mcgregor and now he's just making crazy money he's like you, you just like to see for such a brutal sport like at least it's like paying off for a few guys and uh you know just get out of there sooner than later don't like take too much hits to the head for sure Especially. i do gotta apologize for stepping away real quick the bladder was speaking <laughs> but i did have a question i did want to ask and i don't know if the brothers did ask you with you actually getting involved with pretty much the, that statement i actually want to play this sport quote unquote now that it's kind of a new sport to me do you have like a whole new respect for these guys, A? And is it as hard as it looks? Because, I mean, these guys are obviously winded. It's a full physical contact sport. I mean, we watch boxing matches. These guys are kind of just cruising, throwing punches. But, again, you're in a cage. You got to defend the ground game, the strike game, the... It's pretty much as hard as it looks, I'm sure. It's right? hard as it looks, for sure. Yeah, no, you, you definitely get a new respect for it, like training it, and uh, you know, in jujitsu, I'm rolling. I'm like 200 pounds, so I'm like rolling with a guy that's like 150, and he's just been training longer. He'll tap me out quick. Like you, you get a respect when you see these guys who are much smaller than you and better than you. And then, uh, you know, there's, there's like like a lot of different aspects of MMA. You have striking, which is like Muay Thai mm -hmm. boxing. You have jujitsu. You have wrestling. So even like I was training jujitsu and Muay Thai for a while, and I never did any wrestling. And then I finally started wrestling, and uh, you know, wrestling is like the one. Uh, the art of like MMA that people just avoid because it's so much work and so tiring. And my cardio was pretty good in these like other aspects. But then once I started wrestling, I was just dead and uh, the cardio wasn't there. <laughs> and then I fell in love with wrestling. Wrestling is a lot of fun now once you like you put in the work and put in the time to get to it. But it's a uh, it's a brutal thing. And I see why people avoid it. Like you get a lot of knee injuries. And yeah, obviously, I've, I've torn my ACL and jujitsu. So I'm there with it. Yeah. That Roy, Ryan Ortega, that Ryan Ortega guy, I mean, he he's pretty good at that. Doesn't he have like a, I think he's won like two or he's got like a double black belt or something in jiu-jitsu. 
And he had that one fight against Volkanowski a little bit a while ago. And dude, that was a crazy fight. I don't oh, know if Brian, he's... Brian Ortega. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he, oh, Ryan. Did I yeah. say Ryan? Yeah. Brian he's, Ortega. Uh, sorry. Uh, his jujitsu, like, like I love seeing specialists like that where his jujitsu is just so good that it, like, even if his striking's not on par, like his jujitsu is so good that it makes up for it. And obviously, his striking is coming along now, but, um, you know, he, he's trained in Torrance over here <laughs> in uh, SoCal and he's just, he's, a, he's dude, amazing. Really his good. jujitsu when he had Volkanowski and Volkanowski was getting him, right? Like the first first round and then like the second third round this dude brian ortega gets him in those headlocks and i don't know how volkanowski yeah. got out of him dude, uh, but that, that was, was a good a fight wild, that was crazy that yeah. was a wild fight dude and yeah i respect the man he lost it but he lost he lost it with you know with pride because man that dude's jiu-jitsu is pretty damn good yeah, that was a crazy moment that he wasn't able to pull that off. Because like, I, I Volkanovski's good, man. I had money on Volkanovski, dude, and I was like, oh my god, no, no, he's gonna tap out, he's gonna tap out. And that dude's just like, dude, I don't know, man. Uh, that guy was awesome, man. But yeah, both of them were very good, even Brian Ortega in defeat. So, mm-hmm. so um, living in SoCal and living, you know, shoot within a four or five hour drive of Vegas, have you physically been to a, a match before in your life? I've been to a Bellator uh, fight. I've been to some Muay Thai fights as well. Bellator is like another organization uh, besides the mm-hmm. UFC, uh, if, if uh, it's not as popular. But um, I've been to some glory kickboxing as well, which is fun. I've, I've competed in like jujitsu tournaments and I've watched those also. Uh, but yeah, SoCal is definitely like, a, I mean, all of California, it's like a hotbed for MMA. And like, yeah. if you ever want to go watch it or I haven't been able to watch it in Vegas yet, but hopefully sometime nice nice he he's not going back to the east coast guys like he's all california <laughs> oh, <yeah>. now <laughs> no, i love it out here <laughs> except the taxes right yeah except that <laughs> well curtis and uh it has been a pleasure um jumping on with us and you know good luck with everything you know with all your future kickstarters with this project being released to, to dark horse so please uh before you leave us tonight please shout out everything all your social media your books and everything just please go ahead and give your, your, yourself a shout out yeah so first off thanks a lot guys for having me on it was fun chatting with you guys and i appreciate it it's, it's hard to book interviews as an indie creator but so i really appreciate it and uh the dark horse book with uh the beastlands dark horse book that'll be out june 15th in comic shops and june 28th in bookstores you can pre-order it now at bookstores or amazon or anything and i'll have a kickstarter launching i think may 2nd for the other series slightly exaggerated you can check that out and social media is at curtis cloud on twitter instagram facebook well curtis uh Good luck with everything again. Thank you so much for joining the show. This has been the Comp Boogies Podcast, episode 149. We'll be right back after this short break. Appreciate you, Curtis. Thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. And welcome back, everyone, to episode 149 of the Comic Bookies podcast. Again, thank you so much to our guest, Curtis Clow, from not really Kickstarter anymore. He's from Dark Horse Comics. We can officially say that. So go and get his five-issue collected book, Beastlands, Keepers of the King, coming out in mid and late June, wherever you buy your comic books. But speaking of comic books, we are brought to you by, like every single week, Treasure Island Comics in Fremont, California. Like we said earlier, tomorrow, 420, 2022. Go grab your books. Alex can get you the books any way you want, curbside, mail them to you, or walk right in with no mask and get them. Uh, all right, gentlemen. So we got about a half an hour left of the episode. It was a great one-hour chat with Curtis. Um, definitely, it was it was a good interview. Uh, definitely liked his work. 
he's got three more fans for life, you know, so he's got three more supporters, but uh, let's get into anything else as far as comic books or sports. I'm just kind of open the floor for you guys. What, you know, just spit something out. We'll talk about it. Uh, to what Mark said, how about the Pelicans? NBA playoffs, our Warriors are looking good and they're doing okay. They're doing okay. Monty Poole has been doing a, <laughs> he's been doing his thing. Monty party. <laughs> Dude, it was, it was so funny because Mark, when the when game one was happening, and I was like, oh, the Warriors, oh, da, 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 da. oh nice, they're about to win. And I kept seeing, he kept saying, like, pool party. I was like, what the hell is he? Like, it's the guy going to Vegas or something like that. And I was like, pool. Ah, pool. Got it, got it. And that's when I had to, you know, I had to send the cryptic message of, uh, oh, yeah, Monty, he's doing pretty good. <laughs> With the picture. Oh, yeah. Hey, man, they are playing good. And this is that team. I mean, Curry, Curry off the bench obviously isn't going to last forever, but – Hey, man, they're looking good and making basketball so much fun to watch. And we'll see how long it lasts, bro. I mean, yeah, the NBA playoffs only gets harder. But like when you can damn near sweep a series and Curry's like coming off the bench, um, got something cooking right now. I mean, damn obviously, nearest. you're not going to get to play the Denver Nuggets in the next couple series. But, you know, they're they're, they're not a, a shit team. They're a playoff team. You they know, it's a former MVP who might be the MVP this season. I mean, that's right. something to say right there. Yeah, right. Memphis wins today over that mm-hmm. embarrassing. I wouldn't say embarrassing, but I think, man, I think the Timberwolves pretty much almost led wire to wire in Memphis down there in game one. But the Grizzlies pull it off 124 to 96 tonight as we record on the 19th of April 2022. Man, I think that series is going to be real fun. The Nets, I don't know if you guys saw their series. Obviously, you guys probably heard everything going on with Kyrie and all the trash talking and the finger flipping. And, uh, you know, I thought it's pretty good. But at some point, I think that the fans, you know, obviously liquored up, feel like they're kind of entitled sitting behind the court and whatnot. But, man, uh, Kyrie went off, and I think that series is going to be a fun one going forward. I don't think it's going to be that easy. Obviously, Tatum had to win it with a last-second buzzer beater. Um, The Heat put it on the Hawks again, uh, you know, losing. I mean, sorry beating the Hawks 115 to 105 tonight um just kind of I mean seems pretty good so far with these playoffs um you've got a couple series coming up tomorrow uh with the Bucks again you know I think that Chicago I don't know if you guys watched that first game but Chicago kind of was starting to keep it kind of close mm-hmm. until the Bucks pulled away again and just um I mean it's been pretty fun how much uh time have you guys been watching and uh uh, it doesn't you know what I'm kind of surprised too this year doesn't NHL playoffs usually start before uh, NBA playoffs and it uh, from what I remember they always yeah. felt like the NHL playoffs were so long and just like kind of the NBA was kind of sandwiched in between them but uh, man the, the NHL playoffs hasn't even started yet but NBA's been good that's what it usually that's what it usually is it's usually this is like when the NHL playoffs start. Because, roughly, yeah, because yeah, we're not get, we're getting the Stanley Cup playoffs, I believe, in like late May, early June, and then we're getting NBA finals later, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's been a couple years, Sean, where me and you go to a playoff game for my birthday, right? And that's coming up in a couple oh, weeks. That's been your so, gift a couple of times, yeah. Right, right. So I mean, yeah, how many more games? How many games have the, have the Sharks played? I mean, I know I don't think they're making the playoffs, but how many games have they played? Uh, still an 82 game season i assume there there wasn't any like covid restrictions or anything like that this year but didn't they have a few games early in the year where they was postponed because of covid 
it could have been earlier this what season. Maybe I'd say just barely a handful. I mean, I'm pulling up right now. The Sharks have played. Oh man, we're that bad. Looks like we played at 75 games. It looks like Sunday, May 1st, my birthday is the last game of the season. Okay. Where the Kraken play the Jets. That's the only game of the season. So it might be one of those makeup games. But yeah, the Sharks play uh, whatever 29 plus 34 plus 12 is. That's how many games they've played so far this year. Yeah, we have bad team too. Oof, terrible. Yeah. No, that's not good at all. What's the standings right now? Shit, man. The standings for the NHL. We got 70 points. We're 29 and 34. Yeah, Good. not used to that, man. Hey, look at that. The Seattle Kraken's actually in last place where they freaking should be. Not in the Stanley Cup finals like the Las Vegas Golden Knights were in their they first year. They weren't going to let that happen again, huh? I know, right? Freaking cheaters. Speaking, cheaters. Of the, speaking of the Seattle Kraken, Mr. Marshawn Lynch, Oakland's finest, I believe has a little bit of stake in them, if I'm not mistaken. He does. Intended. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't he, know. Was I don't he know doing the donuts on the, on the Zamboni? Yeah, that's all. I saw that. I sent the picture to one of my buddies of him doing the Zamboni trick, like the cow, the cow bear uh, golf mm-hmm. cart field uh, trick. But and then my a buddy told me, he's like, oh, I think that he got a stake and uh, purchased a stake or something in the crack. And I can look it up real quick if you guys would like me to. But that's pretty cool. He uh, Marshawn leaving his uh, stake down there in uh, the Emerald City, if you will, kind of uh, as much of a Bay boy that he is and an Oakland kid at heart. Guys uh, really, you know, not not soft-spoken at times, but, you know, he is a businessman, if you will, because uh, the guy sure knows how to make moves. Uh, as he says, smoke. take care of your chicken. Right, that, right, right. I mean, he always, he'll always have a soft spot for Seattle, it seems. So oh, instead definitely. of going with the, instead of going with the hometown sharks, he went with the new up and coming, you know, and and it might not, you know, what it's it seems a certain way to like to the fans on looking, right? But it may not be all on Marshawn's side. It may have been the Seattle Kraken reached out to him and probably gave him a shit ton of money to be one of their spokespersons to one of 100%. their kind of ambassadors. So for football fans to kind of get more into hockey, hey, there's a new team. Oh, I don't have a, I'm not affiliated with the team, but I love Marshawn Lynch. I love my Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Let's go Kraken or, you know, whatever, you know. He's and a Seattle f- favorite. It's a perfect person. Definitely. It seems like, it seems like these teams are kind of, Doing this more and more, you see the whole landscape changing, in my opinion. We obviously saw what happened to Netflix after hours and earnings, obviously losing how many they said 200,000 subscribers Mm -hmm. and forecasted to lose another 2 million. I know that the war in Ukraine and the sanctions on Russia have a lot to do with that. Obviously, they uh, stopped streaming some of their stuff or obviously all of their stuff out in Russia. But I mean, if you if you think about it, I see here, you know, Marshawn Lynch, he actually um, is in a, got a little bit of an investment investment alongside Seattle based recording artist Macklemore. And this is something that I think we're seeing a little bit more and more with, you know, teams kind of trying to get, you know, especially hockey. We obviously know how hockey how big hockey is north of the border and some of these colder states. I think that Seattle is really excited to have a team up there, especially after losing the Supersonics, which I still think is one of the worst sports decisions ever made. Please bring the Supersonics. We should have a petition here on the Comic Bookies podcast. Man, the Supersonics were great. But, I mean, this is something like you saw the Toronto Raptors with Drake. You see uh, Memphis Grizzlies. They've obviously had, you know, I don't know how he's really an ambassador, but you see uh, Usher's face connected a lot to the Memphis Grizzlies and whatnot out here in the Bay Area. 
you know, obviously not that they have stakes, but, you know, E40 and whatnot. But, man, I think that this is something that these sports teams are doing and, you know, teaming up with different companies like we heard. I don't know if you guys have heard the news as well, but Apple TV, I think, is going to get the NFL Sunday ticket and they might take it away from direct TV. So it's just a lot of different stuff going on in the landscape. Uh, Formula One, they're owned by a Liberty Media Group, I think. So you got like a lot of these uh, business deals and acquisitions and, you know, star studded people that are, you know, making the whole entertainment world, if you will, uh, you know, bigger. Right. So I think that that was a good move, not just for uh, the entrepreneur himself and Marshawn Lynch, the businessman, but also for the, you know, Seattle Kraken, like you mentioned, Sean. He has a big footprint out there in Seattle, and I think that's where he is. Did he cause that earthquake? He caused the earthquake in Seattle, right? He caused the earthquake, (laughs) that's right. I mean, if you cause an earthquake in the Pacific Northwest, man, and uh, uh, you're just there so you don't get fined, uh, I I think you deserve a little bit of respect. So congratulations, I mean, really, to Marshawn, the Seattle Kraken, but I'm just sorry that Marshawn's investment couldn't put you guys in the Stanley Cup final for your guys' first year in uh, I mean, as far as Netflix and stuff is concerned, I, I'm just realizing, like when you said, like so many subscribers lost, right? Like when you t- we talk about the time that we have, right, with our between our jobs and what we do for the show, between reading and trying to mix in a movie or a show here and there, man, I can only think of a handful of apps that I really need, right? Like if you took away Netflix, I wouldn't care. I don't watch Netflix. I don't watch Hulu. I don't watch Discovery. I don't watch Paramount. Like I'm not saying I have all of these, but I I, I really only need just for all the Marvel shows and stuff, uh, Disney plus, you know, and then, and then of course the kids love all the movies and then my YouTube TV, everything else. Like, like Mark, we're going to get my end soon uh, on YouTube TV. It's like all, that's all I need. I don't need Netflix. I mean, I like stranger things, but when the hell am I going to, when the hell am I going to watch it? You know, like Hulu, I don't watch anything on Hulu. I don't watch it. You know, I don't watch anything on HBO max. That, that might be the, the one else because love all the old shows. I can watch Sopranos when I want, you know, um, a lot of the good documentaries are on HBO. And then of course, Warner brothers, DC kind of connected there. And I mm-hmm. love a couple of their shows too. So yeah, if I, if I had a top three, take three and get them away, it would be my cable Disney plus and HBO max. That's it. I don't need yeah. anything else. Nothing else. Give me the old school blockbuster video online and Netflix where I'm mailing you back and forth. This a disc, man. Remember that <laughs> shit? Dude? Just give me that, and I'll wait. Right? That's sick. You maybe guys, have, maybe have to wait. You got? Can you guys? Can you guys smell the nostalgia right now of walking <sighs> into a blockbuster store? One of the one of yeah. my not I, I, someone that I follow on IG. I mean, um, I guess they were there over there in Oregon, and uh, he posted uh, a picture, one. and he's like, and he he posted a picture of the floor mat as he was walking into the door, and he's like, <laughs> it still smells the same, and I could like <laughs> smell the picture, dude. I was like, dude, yeah. I know exactly what that smell is, days, man. Man, that's the, that's the only one left, right? The one in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a documentary on it. There was like two left, and then I think one of the two finally fell. It's like with Kmart, there's like three Kmarts left in the United uh, States. So oh, really? Oh, I know really? you guys remember the one here by the lake with the nachos and the hot dogs and the icy machine in the yeah. back corner. <laughs> <laughs> but now the, now the former uh, Kmart, which is what now Home Depot Home and Depot. Big Lots. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, that's right. Um, but to but to kind of rewind and answer your question, like about five to seven minutes ago, um, I I've watched more Warriors basketball in the last two games than I have the entire season. 
And that's mainly because I'm in a weight loss challenge at work. I'm on the bike. I got the TV on right here. So I have the opportunity to, but you know, I, I, I'm always a Warriors fan. I'm not a huge fan of the NBA. I'm not a huge fan of basketball, but I will, you know, like that's the Warriors, right? You know, call it fair weather, call it what you will, but you know, I'm going to call it, I don't have, I kind of prioritize my time, right? Like I can put a war, I can put a Warriors game on in the background, but I, but my kids will be watching something or, you know, but now the beginning of the baseball season started, I'll put the, the A's on or something like that. So, um, for me, um, I definitely like watching playoff basketball, especially if the Warriors are going to do this well. Right. So yeah, man, um, to answer your question, I, <laughs> I've watched more basketball in the last two games of the Warriors than I have the entire 2022 season. That's perfect timing though. Hey, we're in the playoffs right now. You might be watching it for a few more weeks the way we're playing. Yeah. Fingers That's crossed. Man. Cause once the Warriors are out, I'm out. I'm just going <laughs> to say, I, I'm not watching a single second of the NBA finals. Ah, come on. I mean, if I'm LeBron's on the bike, my game line. LeBron's not in it. If I'm on the, uh, then maybe, then maybe you get five, five percent more. If I'm the, if I'm on the bike and it's the only thing on, then I'll watch it. I'm not gonna but, lie. But if the I A's mean, are on. Oh, if one okay, of the, if a month, NBA if, Finals or an A's game, random A's game, maybe NBA Finals, maybe, you know, because I'm, I don't have a stake in the in the NHL playoffs. NHL playoffs is for sure. I ain't watching shit. Oh yeah, right. Watching a minute. So. I mean, if one of these like younger teams can make a push in a Memphis Grizzlies, you know, I'd like to see maybe even like, you know, a Heat team kind of get kind of get kind of far again. Yeah, I think they're pretty again. good uh, sh- with the Sean's preseason team, man. Or no, it I was mean, the Bulls. Man, I like the Bulls, man. I still, I even like the Bulls still in this series. Like Demar shot like six to twenty five, and they lost by whatever they lost by. Like Demar ain't gonna shoot no six to twenty five again. I think they can compete with Milwaukee. Do you think Lonzo Ball being out for the rest of the hundred percent, hundred percent? I mean. Is he? It's another I'd rather have Lamelo. Unfortunate. Uh, for that team, I'd rather have Lonzo because Lonzo to me is just a better, more controlled distributor. Lamelo just has that superstar, so he's more of like maybe he's a better overall player. But I think there's just what Chicago needs. Oh, I like Lonzo. Lonzo, yeah. I think he's a great point guard. He was perfect for that team, and you know, Sean, who who ended up winning fantasy basketball? I know your ass didn't. Oh man, my ass <laughs> did it, man. I was a one and done as a first seed. Yep. One and freaking done, dude. Uh it was actually Uncle Art, who had a very oh, good okay. team. He was led by Curry and uh Lebubu. Anthony Davis sat out pretty much, you know, damn near half the year, if not longer, which meant the Lakers couldn't bench LeBron till the end when they knew they were eliminated. So, you know, NBA, you gotta worry about those back to backs. You know, they can't play two games in a row for some reason. Fuck. But, how, I mean, how wussy is that, dude? You know, I, I mean, talked to a couple people. How is, and the, the I don't care. Hockey players still play. <laughs> the counter argument, which I do understand. I'm not saying I agree with things. I still have that. Hey, bro, you're getting paid freaking millions. Your ass should be playing. The only counter argument I will say is if I'm the owner to a degree, I'm sorry. I would almost think that to. I don't know if I would be playing my players in every back-to-back. Now, them benching them for every back-to-back, that's poodle. But, like, the energy they actually need to exert and how the game has advanced in terms of physical demand, yes, we're bigger, stronger, faster genetically. That's a proven fact. But how, I think, just advanced the game is now, how much energy it takes to first get prepared for the season, your body's already tired, then just the week-to-week grind, then actually playing. Yeah, as an owner, I sometimes got to put myself in their seat and say, okay, you know, Curry went off tonight, kicked ass. Tomorrow we're going against Joe Blow. I don't know, the freaking Pistons. 
Curry, how you feeling? I'm a little sore. Jeez, you, can... you gotta do Jason Douglas like that. Why you gotta do? Why you I gotta mean, do? Okay, like sorry, that, sorry, man. Pistons. But you know, I'm, I'm not saying because I, in the end, I'm still in your Arbo. I do not like this in back to backs, but I somehow's gotta check just a little bit. Like I get the here and there benching of the back to back, but the nonstop, I, I'm with you guys. I hate it. I mean. It, when you talk about physical exertion, you know, like, but how less physical is it nowadays than 20 years ago? And all those guys are playing. We're like, that's Iron, for sure. We're like Iron Men. They're playing 80, 81, 82 games. Different a year, mentality. Plus different baseball. money. Yeah, different mentality. 100. percent That's, that's, all, that's all I wanted you. To, it's all I wanted and to hear was it's a for, different game and it's a different. 100. Forget the mentality. What about like the the training and like the recuperation and the recovery? Like they didn't have no damn ice baths. I mean, they might have, but they didn't have all these trainers. All these massages, all these crazy is the equipment. No, it's, 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 it's a fact. Yeah. It's a yeah. proven fact. That's why it's just like. It's, I, I mean, what happened with Curry or what was happening where they were like spinning his blood and taking the platelets or whatever and right. to like yeah. inject it back Kobe in. did that. Like, all those guys mm-hmm. go to Germany for platelet treatment on their knees and stuff. It's Come just on, like. Man. The yeah, game has just evolved, way. and back then, it's just, I mean, that's why you see some of these athletes from back in the day, they're kind of, like, broken down, but, I mean, dude, it was just crazier times, man. No, don't don't make fun of me for this. I, oh. I, I've i seen this process happen, right? And I was watching, uh, what the hell is it is? Like, I am Georgina, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo. Is. Well, shout out to Cristiano Ronaldo, unfortunately, losing uh, one of his two twins, the boy. Uh, so sorry to hear, but... But the what was it Netflix or Hulu series that it was uh, Georgina? Yeah, Netflix was Georgina and Cristiano Ronaldo, and she went somewhere in like Milan or something, and she went to go get that treatment done where they take blood, they spin it, spin it around, and then they inject it like in her hairline and whatever. So it's like um, with all the stuff they that women do to their hair, it kind of prevents baldness as well or like thinning. So that's that's they do that for that reason. Not for you know recovery from a, a a grueling seven game series in an NBA Finals, right? You know, so I mean, to I each their own, bald. <laughs> right? Exactly, right? Um, I wish I can do that. Not actually, not really. I'm actually okay with how I look bald, but um, shoot. So you let's are uh, a very good looking bald man, Michael. Uh, sometimes. Um, so let's do. Uh, let's go NASCAR. So yeah, so no NASCAR. Uh, the last couple of weeks was fun. Uh, what do we have, Mark? We had Martinsville two weeks ago. Oh, that Martinsville, and then I have it right here. Uh, Bristol. And then Bristol Dirt. So we have what William Byron first, mm-hmm. first two race winner this year, and then Kyle Busch freaking stealing it. Scottish. Man, Briscoe, what are you doing? Briscoe just took them both out, and then Kyle Busch comes in. Here we come. But they, um, I mean, they talked about it on pit lane. I don't think Reddick was really um, upset. No, he wasn't I'm, pissed. And then Reddick, I mean, I'm sure I mean, Briscoe apologize you know deep down he's upset especially when you're looking at a briscoe that already has a win on the season and reddick was about to get his first win ever in the cup series right right just uh unfortunate for him i'd like to see another new winner especially another young gun we already got chastain we got briscoe we got um you know it would have been nice to see Suarez get one soon and you know Reddick right. get one soon and I, I know in the beginning of that race we actually had Ty Dillon I think in second third yeah, place he, yeah he was behind the, he was behind Larson and some, some you know there in the first uh, stage when he was because Larson won the first stage and Ty Dillon was right behind him the season's been crazy man I just been really excited to see all these young guns and just see the parody going on and um just been awesome dude uh so another guy know. another guy who hasn't had a win this year 
But is he going to carry over the success from last year? Is Bubba Wallace going to get his first win and go back to back at Talladega this Red Sunday? Bubba. Hmm. It's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot for Talladega, right? It's a crapshoot. You, you you can be upside down like Logano a couple years ago. <laughs> Who knows? I, I know he's down there in Alabama. And I know he has a win, but man, what a horrible season. Another DNF again in the dirt. Denny yeah. Hamlin, the guy got that win. Um, where was Atlanta? Where would he get? Actually, where did he get the win? Hamlin, yeah. Hamlin won, I think, I believe the Rich- race before Martinsville, which was Richmond, Richmond I think. Richmond. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but man, another DNF dude, just, I don't know if, I think it was a mechanical failure again. Also with Harvick, with that, uh, that uh, bent up tire that he had, he had a couple words to say about NASCAR, about them not prepping the track right, I believe, and he was kind of upset, oh, saying boy. that only the mm-hmm. the TV, um, only the TV ratings are gonna decide whether or not they're gonna do that on dirt. Which um, it was kind of crazy with the rain. I mean, it took over what four hours to run 250 laps on right. Bristol, which is kind of you know, taxing, especially for people on Easter. Uh, I think it was the first time that NASCAR has actually planned a uh, race on Easter. They've obviously ran on Easter before in the past due to weather uh, implications and having to push their race over the next day. It's not something that I think they really are interested in doing more, but they tried it this time, and uh, we'll see going forward if they're going to do it again. I doubt that they will, but um, uh, who even knows if they're going to come back to dirt. seems like a lot of money and time and exerted and whatnot just to lay that dirt down for 250 miles but or laps mm-hmm. sorry but i might be mistaken and who knows what uh bruton smith and you know the team over there at speedway motorsports wants to do going forward who knows i mean talladega talk about a crap shoot i mean you have some of these guys who are really young and who only have like one or two races over the last couple of years but we we into- want to talk about since 2019 sean i I, I know you're seeing this like the top 10 as far as most recently you have names like kaz grella i mean of course he only has one race he finished sixth john 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 hunter nemechek you have anthony alfredo chase briscoe daniel hemrick right you have a lot of those guys who are like who right so you have a lot of those guys who um actually you know like who's another one um austin dillon he's always known for running well on these restrictor plate races right so so he so he might be up there i always like to put him like maybe if there's a good odds for a top 10 finish for austin dillon kind of put him up there um but yeah i mean what do you guys say i mean there's i'm not even gonna try anymore i'd say (laughs) i think logano is great on these super speedways i don't know if they're cars he's got six wins uh career that was his first win his first win was at talladega maybe chase will do something this week joy logano he was up there he was in the top five for a while yeah, I think that they've made. I think that so far Penske or at least Logano's team has been building better short track cars. I mean, he obviously won the Clash uh, down there at the Coliseum mm-hmm, on that mm-hmm. small track, and obviously he won this dirt race last year. I believe wasn't it Kyle Busch? I think that he beat last year also. I think Kyle Busch came in second. So mm-hmm. you know, Kyle Busch he obviously has a great car control, a great driver, and when you're on dirt slipping and sliding around, it kind of you know bodes well for Busch. Um, other than that, you know, Bell is also a dirt racer, so he did pretty good. But uh, Hamlin and uh, Truex, uh, they 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 can't wait for Talladega because oh, yeah. they didn't fare well at all. Right. 
I mean, Chase Elliott has has a recent win there. Ryan Blaney probably is was I'd say Ryan Blaney would be a top three as far as favorites are concerned. So um, that'd be a good one to actually, you know, probably wouldn't get too much value, but Ryan Blaney is a good one to to take. See, yeah, man, looking at a couple of these guys right here. Yeah, so that Bubba, yeah, Kyle still has a win there. A lot of so, different winner uh, races have won here, so right. So I mean, that's one of those races where you just kind of sit back, relax, and enjoy, and, and just yeah, exactly. expect the expect the unexpected because, of course, a big one's coming sooner or later. So Suarez for the win, baby. There Ooh, you go. Put, the, put that, that put that good old dollar on, on Suarez, right? So that dollar is um, not going to get you paid as much as it would have got you paid in the past. Now that he's right? been track house, man. I know, I know, I know. So that, that dollar might have got you eighty or a hundred back then. You might be cutting it with about forty or fifty now. Right. That's right. That's right. So, um, shoot, man. I don't know about any sports, but uh, I mean, just to kind of round out the podcast, a couple of good books. We 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 finished the uh, weekly, you know, series of Detective. It was kind of mm-hmm. weird to not see Detective on, you know, on our weekly list. I don't even think we've gotten one since it. We haven't got one in a couple of weeks. Yeah. 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 So um, I have here some of my recent reads, actions still kind of it's good, but not, not great, you know. Uh, with with him on War World, Department of Truth is another crazy one. I do like the Fourth Man, another another hitter from AWA, and I love all of the the artwork. It's like every single main character in this story is is you know it's a the portrayal is an actual actor actress. Um, Almost American was pretty cool. It was like finally we had some kind of action to end mm-hmm. the series, you know. So it was pretty cool. Um, Batman Beyond the White Knight, I love everything everything in this whole universe so it was it was a great a a great first issue and finally um rogues was actually a good first issue that that new black label one where it's like uh captain cold and everyone they do like one last heist it's like kind of set in the in the future so that was a a good first issue right there so what do you you read batman 89 no that's on um no i i just got that last week so i i am a week behind but that's shadow war Number Shad- one, I did read that. That was, that, that was that's going to be good. That, so it is good. I didn't. I, I actually haven't read the the new latest edition of Batman, the one that the that obviously continues the Shadow War. But man, that Shadow mm-hmm. War was pretty crazy with um, everything that happened to Mister Al Ghul. I know, I know, and it's not even Slade Wilson. You think like, oh shit, Slade, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. But he was just chilling there, so it's not you know, it's not him. Um, what do you think of uh, book two of Batman One Dark Knight, the Jock series? I That's actually it. haven't read that one yet. Oh really? I read it, number yeah. one. I didn't read number two either. It's cool. It's cool. I actually it's, have two because uh, of how long it took us to get two. I'm expecting probably right. it might take that long to get three. So I so, have that so one kind so of take in your the back. time. <laughs> I like number I got, one a lot though. Yeah. Huh? I like number one a lot, though. Oh yeah, yeah, that one was real good. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I haven't read uh, Killing Time two yet. I don't know if you have. That's I'm reading it at this week also. So I haven't read that one yet. And the Human Target, I think it was book five or six. I got that one kind of in the back, like I said, and I mentioned Tom King is putting that one on hiatus. I think until the fall. So we just got making... issue what eleven of Batman Catwoman. So finally getting to the end of that story. Finally, after it was supposed to be December years. Of, December of twenty twenty or something like that was supposed I... to be the first issue. So Jeez. I mean, no, no, December of twenty nineteen. No, so. twenty twenty. No, but it was supposed to be. Oh, it was supposed to be. Supposed to be just uh, like December 2019 or January 2020, and it didn't start until December of 2020. Mm-hmm. So Dang. finally, right? 
I think we I think that yes. book came out when we recorded episode fifty. <laughs> <laughs> or did a live episode episode one hundred, right? Ah, oh man. But um of course, you know, we're, we we had the interview, so it's kind of I, – I don't want to spend just five minutes talking about The Batman, um, but I, I watched it again last night, and um, I see stay off Twitter. I, I really need to stay off Twitter because some of the, some of the shit that people spewing from their freaking mouths is just – it's hot garbage. Like, it's absolute hot garbage. I mean, not to say everyone's not entitled to their opinion, right? But uh, But some of the things are just way outlandish. To actually call it a bad movie and to say that that every single um, Snyderverse movie was better than that, I just I, I they're just trying to get people to to comment on their shit. I bet because you can't be that serious. I heard I've heard none but good things. I hear it's actually better than any of the on the Snyder Justice League. Well, I heard it's actually easily I mean, better than those. I mean, straight up just tweets from like people that we know and follow. That's the positive. But when you are a stupid idiot like myself and kind of read and scroll down into comments and like waste your time doing that. Yeah. That's when you find just the, uh, the cream of the crop, just the, uh, you know, the real grade a assholes out there. Who, of course. So, um, but like I, like, excuse me, like I said, um, a couple weeks ago, we've been doing like a biweekly thing. So mm-hmm. we won't actually record until Tuesday, May 3rd. So who knows? Maybe we'll get together for my birthday. Uh, come Ooh. Sunday. Sunday the first or something, maybe record something. So that'd be so that'd be cool. Um, we gotta yeah. hit a con or something, man. Curtis got me juice talking about these I know, cons and I know just hearing him talking about the, the networking possibilities, getting to talk to these publishers exactly the possibilities. And uh, man, just uh, we gotta get to a con or something. I think I still got a trunk full of freaking flyers. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, what's this? April twenty fourth, whatever day that is. Looking like that's what Saturday. I think that's the day before the twenty fifth. Nice one. Sunday, Sunday, April twenty fourth is the Modesto Toy. Anime, see the toy anime comic con. So, oh, like, is it like is I it really? It, I thought it was a uh, grave digger at the Coliseum. Sunday, <laughs> Sunday, right? Grave digger. And then we have one in Manteca on, on May seventh. Then the next day, May eighth, is the Lodi Comic Con. That one's a, that that one that's, that's kind of big, the Grape City one. Yeah, I think so. That's the so, one that Alex actually already has flyers for in his shop. Oh, really? Yeah, Actually, my birthday, San Leandro, Oakland Toy Anime Comic Con. San Leandro? In, in San Leandro. Silicon Valley Comic Con, August 27th through, and the 28th. So, I mean, there's something right there. Are going to bring it, back the, you know, the Hall of Famers, the uh, alumni? Right? <laughs> yep, I know, right? Stockton Podcast has one in, Stock, Stockton has one in um, uh, August talking about... Um, Curtis's girlfriend, he, she, she was from Fairfield or whatever. So there's one in Vacaville on July 3rd. Um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty there's to one to in ch- Vacaville. Wow. The Powerhouse Comic Con, the one at the Alameda County Fairgrounds, the one that that's, we actually that I went to. That's yeah. May 14th. Oh, so I see that's coming up in a few weeks. So May 14th, which is a Saturday, uh, a couple days. No, February. No, that's February. Yeah, there's I mean there's there's plenty of them. So yeah, yeah. And, and obviously July twenty first to twenty fourth is Comic Con International in San Diego. Um what the hell? Fremont, San Jose. Oh wow. 
August 14th, Fremont San Jose Toy Anime Convention. It's somewhere on Farwell <laughs> in Fremont. So crack in. So if you guys want to go to that one, we'll make a trip, you know, down the freeway to uh, to Fremont. But um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, we'll definitely save some time to talk about, go in depth about the Batman, of course. Um, but it's out on HBO Max finally, 45 days after the original release. So people will be watched by then for sure. Two weeks to watch it. Count me in. Oh, that's right. You haven't freaking watched it. Okay. So good thing. I didn't even plan on doing that either way, but, um, but yeah, but again, thanks you. Thank you to Curtis Clow of Kickstarter. Now dark horse comics. Congratulations on your up and coming, uh, trade, uh, beastlands keepers of the kingdom. Please go follow him. That's right. Please go follow him on all social media. Pre-order his book, uh, right now at your local comic book store, but that's it for episode 149. Fellas, take it away. Episode 149, uh, to what Mike said, uh, Maryland's finest, Curtis Cloud, thank you for <laughs> being an interviewee. We definitely love the book, The Beast Lines, and everything you got going. Best of luck. Hopefully talk to you again soon. And just another knocker, kick this game like soccer, fun episode with my brothers. Definitely thank you to all the people who are taking time to listen to us, to keep supporting us. We're going to keep going bi-weekly, I guess, for the immediate future to what Mike said. But we definitely will have some fun, fun, fun stuff in store between us hopefully getting to some cons, what Mark said, us having some interviews, and, of course, just us being the Comic Bookies podcast, always colliding the world of sports and comics. Thanks, guys. Yes, sir. Thank you. And once again, thank you to Curtis. Appreciate it. Not many times that we get a writer coming on and giving us five books to read and just uh, – sharing the experiences like him and just uh, glad to see um, an, a writer actually been able to, you know, quit his day job, quit his nine to five, pursue something that he really, really enjoys because at the end of the day, man, that's what life's about. That's what this whole great resignation thing has been about. And uh, he did it before it was popular, like I said. So thank you, Mr. Clow, for hopping on. Thank you all the fans for listening on. Just uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, and just always check us out at the comic bookies on all social media at the comic bookies. Also for gmail.com. If you want to email us or you guys know a writer or an artist that wants to hop on, we'd love to talk to them. We'd love to promote them. And we love to just uh, share their uh, vision to the world with you guys. So thank you all the countries. Thank you all the states that download us. We uh, really appreciate it. And this has been 149. We can't wait to catch you guys for 150. Thank you, guys. That's right. That's right. The uh, monumental 150th episode of the Comic Boogies podcast just, out, just after our three-year anniversary. We cannot wait. We'll see you guys in two weeks. But for Mark and for Sean, this is Mike. This is Comic Boogies podcast. And as always, enjoy the sports, enjoy the comics, and enjoy each other. Peace out. Peace. And always enjoy each other and enjoy all the great sports upcoming, the NBA, NHL, and of course, Beastlands from Dark Horse Publishing and Mr. Curtis Cloud. Thank you for delivering. We love you guys. Peace. Thank you.